My name is Hung Shir. Can everybody say Hung Shir? Excellent. Wow. Your Mandarin is getting better and better. Just, who knew? I go by Reverend, Reverend Hung Shir. Um, I've been a Buddhist bhikshu since 1976. That's a long time. Uh, took refuge formally and became a Buddhist in 1973 at Gold Mountain Monastery over in San Francisco. So, um, born in Columbus, Ohio, raised in Toledo. How many Ohioans tonight? Proudly. Fight, fight, Ohio State. Sit, sit, Ohioans. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, uh, came out to Berkeley, California in 1971. Mm. Been here quite a while. And uh, one of the um, best parts about being a, about the job of being a Buddhist monk in a tradition uh, that knows its roots is you get to take part in a fraternity that's 2,500 years old. Um, probably the longest running fraternity on the planet. And there's a sorority allied to it that is equally as long. Both the uh, monastic sangha, male and female, dates back to the Buddhist time. And the uh, clothes that I wear, the schedule that I keep, the food that I eat, the practices that I practice, and the views that I aspire to hold are in 95% identical with my counterparts 2,500 years ago. There's something to that. You know, what else in your day do you touch that's that old? Gee, Dharma Master, you don't look that old. You know, well, it's all the meditation I do. Yeah. So, but uh, the that's the uh, the outside forms and the inner, more importantly, the inner forms are um, by and large identical. So there's something to that, and yet, and yet, it's got a distinctly American face. Now, blue eyes, banjos, you know, baseball. I was a starting pitcher for the McKinley Frogs. I had an earned run average of 3.0. I had three speeds, slow, slower, and slower yet. I was a control pitcher. No joke. I still couldn't quite get a curveball to snap, but I was working on it. So um, one of the other real advantages of being a Buddhist monk in a tradition is that just by being uh, in that line, you absorb a lot of lore, L-O-R-E. You know that word, right? The lore. Not just the stories, but the approaches to the stories. And not just the approaches to the stories, but the, um, the silence around the stories and the timing for those stories to arise and the context for them, the causes and the conditions for the stories and the teachings. That's all part of joining um, and translating, living into, embodying um, ideas that have been consistently on the planet for that long. So, what am I talking about specifically? Well, many of us, uh, myself included, came to Buddhism because I wanted to meditate. That really was what drew me. More than that, I wanted to get enlightened. Bad. If enlightenment had a giant economy size, I wanted to buy it. I wanted a six-pack of enlightenment. And if I didn't, wasn't happy with it, I wanted to exchange it for another one. You know, I had a completely commercial approach to enlightenment. You know, you know Houston Smith, the great scholar and writer of religion, said that he too was whoring after enlightenment, he said. Meaning, if he could buy it, if he could sell it, if he could, you know, whatever he wanted it, you know, which is what raw desire. I mean, there's no different between different between that and wanting a BMW, you know, or a million dollars today. So um, that was my one of my earlier motivations, and it took a while to to recognize how full of self and and desire uh, that that idea was. But it carried me into a community 
at least where I could at least grapple with that view and and see um, what else there was beyond that. So I think many of you may have been uh, initially drawn through books often to meditation. Um, and certainly, certainly, when you look at the Buddha, you know, um, our Buddhas tend to be standing here, and our Bodhisattvas are standing. The, the smaller ones in the altar, the three smaller ones in front, are all sitting. When you many of us encounter the first visual Buddha image, he's sitting, or she is sitting. So seated meditation is clearly identified with Buddhism, but it would be incorrect to assume that meditation equals Buddhism, that that's the story. What do I mean by that? When you go to Asia now, particularly East Asian Buddhism, people meditate less and practice devotion more. Isn't that interesting? Numerically, without a doubt, the number one practice in Buddhist Asia, just if you say percentage-wise, is reciting the name of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas to the tune of 70%, maybe. More people have their beads in their hand and they're going, Namo Omitova, Namo Omitova, Namo Omitova, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amitabla, Namo Amitabla, Namo Amitabla, Nami Ayafut, Nami Ayafut, Nami Ayafut. All the different languages. Amitabha, he's our, the big stained glass Buddha at the top. He's Amitabha. And there's another figure who gets a lot, a lot of attention in Buddhism that has been in the planet longest, and that is the figure on the altar at the back. Could I, those of you who can, can I just direct your attention back on that altar, the one you walk past every time you come in this hall? And that is a bodhisattva, not a Buddha. That's an awakened being. Bodhi, B-O-D-H-I, awakened, awakening. Bud is the root to wake up in Sanskrit, which becomes Buddha and Buddhist and Bodhi, awakening, and sattva, a being, a, a creature of any sort, a sentient being, blood, breath, and warmth, consciousness, four things go into making a particular sattva. So bodhisattva, an awakened being. Also, one who awakens beings. So the bodhisattva himself, herself, wakes up, and then what makes them, her, him a bodhisattva is the desire to wake others up. So that is who you walk by. And I want you to say, Guan Sure. Yin. Bodhisattva. Guan Shi Yin. Contemplating worlds, sounds, cries, voices. So the awakened being who contemplates, who listens to, who observes, who hears the cries of the world, who hears the sounds of the world. Some very happy sounds, some joyful sounds, some not so joyful, some painful. So uh, Guan Shi Yin Bodhisattva is one of the figures in the Buddhism that, that I studied, coming from the Chinese Mahayana tradition, that is central to the practice of the religion and belongs to the devotional side, not the meditative side. Now, there is a meditative aspect to the practice of Guanyin Bodhisattva, but by and large, she belongs to, if you were doing yoga, it would be the bhakti side, right? Bhakti, the devotional side. Um, devotion is a... Uh, very familiar way to approach the sacred. How many folks, if you were raised Catholic, had a relationship with the Blessed Virgin? Anybody? Okay, one, two, three. It's okay. We're not cameraman. We turned the cameras off before we came. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah. So. Many of my Catholic friends yeah, had a relationship with the priesthood, you know, and with his, the Holy Father, you know. But when it came to Mary, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, no filters, no shadows, just that's good. 
I like that. I love that. And I feel a personal relationship to Mary. And if I had to confess, you know, uh, when times are hard, she's the one I look to. Right? Yeah. Guanyin Bodhisattva. Same. People go, I'm a Buddhist. I recite the name of Amitabha. I meditate. I... I even know Omani Padme Hum and His Holiness is a great old guy, you know, but when times get tough, Guan Yin Bodhisattva. She's the one. So, what about that? That's interesting. Other people, not so. Other people are like, no, no, no. I understand that Buddhism is all about do-it-yourself. You know, who did, did the prince, did Siddhartha have a devotional female being to whom he opened his heart and to he invited in and and relied upon one time? No, no. He completely followed this path of deep wisdom, prajna. He entered the gate of emptiness, emptied out self, emptied out dharmas, realized his own nature and said, pursue your own liberation with diligence. Right? Okay, yes. And if you're a traditional Chan meditator, then that's a real path. You. But there are other folks who come to religion through, this is a false dichotomy, but through heart rather than head. Not that the path of wisdom is head, not at all. But to say there are people who are 100% devotional, who don't care about the teachings, for whom the Four Noble Truths, they're fine, good, that's good to know. You know, the Eightfold Path, I get it, but... I feel pulled by compassion. I love the goodness of Guan Yin. And there you go. How about that? Is that meditation? Yeah, but not primarily. It's something else entirely. So what about that? How interesting, huh? You'll notice there are people who come into this room and go, my God, look, I mean, all these dragons... You know, who are these figures? And they're all like animals, animals everywhere, crying, you know, spirits and ghosts and gods and dragons and, and all these beings. What, what is all colors? You know, is this like Roman Catholic Buddhism? High church Buddhism? What is going on in here? I, I like to, I mean, I've been to Zen centers where there was a rock on the altar, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah, you Protestant Buddhists. You know. Hmm. Iconoclasts, right? Get that mitre and ring and chancel and crown out of here. We don't want the gold. We don't want the Holy Roman. We want the gospel. Right? Any Methodists? Hmm. Yeah, you know. The word, logos, and there are historical reasons why logos was preferred over the Pope. Because with him came all the power. He could both put you in jail and send your soul to hell in the same person. You know, the Holy Roman Emperor, too much. So the Protestants arose, the iconoclasts, get rid of the icons. All right. Mind you, the Catholic Church kept the icons. There are people who responded to that. This is the Mahayana. When you come into this hall, you're getting the full draft. You know, I was raised Protestant. I learned all this in the last 38 years. I was not born Buddhist. And I'm reporting to you the spoonful that I've absorbed. But beyond the externals, beyond the figures and the colors, there are some profound observations of the human nature, the, the, the potentially awakened nature that I think embody what you're seeing here, that underlie what you're seeing, which is how do you approach the sacred? In the West, we do stuff really well. We do material, right? We consume the planet and spit out products. And the trash follows. You know. um, we do that better than any other culture has ever done. But at the moment, there's a price for that, excessive consumption of stuff, which is you often can feel very hungry inside. Because the stuff only touches the six senses, the mind being the sixth sense. And we are so much more than eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. So in the midst of incredible abundance, you now have a choice 
of an iPad Air or an iPad Mini with a retina display, by God. You know, is it on your Christmas list? Which one? Oh, so many choices, you know. <laughs> How about a refurbished? You know, oh no! You know, what did you do with your iPad 1s? I, I, like everybody, I recycled it. You know, where is that iPad 1? It's now in a small town in coastal China where the rare earths are being extracted from it and it's being turned into a new iPad. Right? I was hearing yesterday on NPR as I'm driving down to Santa Cruz, you hear that broadcast? Right. The book on recycling called Junkyard Planet. Very interesting webcast. Terry Gross talking to this guy who, did what he, he traced a Nike shoes cardboard box. Where did it go? Where did your Nike shoe cardboard box go or your Adidas or your Reebok? Do they make Reeboks anymore? So that box goes back to China and gets recycled into a Nike shoe box. And it's cheaper to ship it back than it is to like ship it to Chicago. You know, so anyway, so we do stuff really well. Have you ever looked at that global circuit of stuff and gone, what happened to people? Are there human values in the midst of this? Do I, does anybody ask me about the human values in the midst of this? Do we get a choice to choose? Do we get a chance to choose the technology that we make? Good question. One place to look to ask ourselves, should we think about the choice of appropriate technology is the same place where we find Guan Shiyin Bodhisattva. And that's the immaterial, not non-material, not exclusive of material, but the immaterial. That is to say, very real, but simply not something that touches eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind, part of our mind. The fact that it's invisible does not mean she's not real. All right? You can think invisible things can be very real. A sense of connection. Empathy. The wish to heal what is broken. Nurturing. Imagination, kindness, compassion, joy, serenity has no weight, no velocity, no atomic weight, no essential irreducible elements that you can put on a scale or send through space. But who would want to live a day without those qualities? Right? That's the place where the devotional side of Buddhism arises. And by God, it's hungry. You know, it's a garden. And if you don't weed it and water it, you got a place where you can't go because there are thorns and brambles. And it's kind of shadowy and dark in there, you know. So being around for two and a half millennia, the Buddhists paid attention to that part and said, let's go garden. Let's garden that part. And... What do you discover when you do is the very same thing that I believe Catholics discover when they go looking for the HBV, as my Benedictine friends call her, the Holy Blessed Virgin. Right? She's the HBV. Mary. Right? When we heard Simon and Garfunkel, you know, go, like a bridge over troubled water. Something went, you know, that was one of those times when pop music went sacred. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Paul McCartney. And it's like, wow. Remember when the first time you heard that? I was driving to Sacramento when Let It Be came on the radio. And instantly I thought, oh, that's a bridge to something I want to cross over to wherever that's going. You know, more of that, please. Too few of those, you know. How funny that there's a garden inside that it, it's there whether you garden it or not, whether you take care of it or not. And when you do, what you discover is, I feel fuller and I'm content to stay at home because it's a safe, well-lighted place for 
my Buddha nature to grow. Right? Yeah, us and two and a half millennia of Asian Buddhist devotees who go Kuan Yin Bodhisattva. So um, last month, I was in Shanghai visiting a man named Hu, uh, Professor Hu, uh, Hu Jianning, who is now in his 80s. And uh, he is the curator, one of the curators of the Shanghai Museum of Art. He's also a profound, profoundly devout, devout Buddhist. And he, being uh, an intelligentsia, was struggled against in the Cultural Revolution. And he told me a story I'll never forget. Um, he had in his home 300 priceless Buddha and Bodhisattva images. Um, he's unmarried and a bachelor and, and uh, really gave his life to the protection, to the protection and the categorizing the, the caring for these incredible works of art, some of which were 1,800 years old and, you know, Tang Dynasty Buddha images and six dynasties before the Tang, you know, the, the six dynasties period, which is the fifth century. And there he had them, you know. And uh, the, the Cultural Revolution happened, which the Chinese considered a, a holocaust because it 10 years of utter turmoil that was not... It, it, there, people are still trying to figure out what what it was all about. Um, in any case, uh, anything that was cultured, that was intellectual, that belonged to um, a Chinese antiquity got got struggled against, became the focus of the attack. So he was thrown in jail. All his images were confiscated were taken away in a big truck. Broke his heart, of course, and these are things that maybe one of them exist in the world. And his, his Buddhist practice was a big part of his life. And in jail, uh, he was jailed. He wasn't, he wasn't given work. Um, he wasn't sent to a laogai, a, a labor reform camp. He stayed in jail. And if you did any overt Buddhist practice, you could be, you were warned and then you were killed. They didn't mess around at all. You were very expendable. And his practice uh, consisted of reciting Guan Yin's name with beads. He would always recite, Namo Guan Shi Yin Pusa, Pusa being Bodhisattva. The, the Chinese take Bodhisattva and go Pusa. Namo Guan Shi Yin Pusa, Namo Guan Shi Yin Pusa, Namo Guan Shi Yin Pusa, Namo Guan Shi Yin Pusa. He did that all day long, just kind of, that was his, his, uh, 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 theme song, you know, and he, he, he lived and breathed according to that melody and to the rhythms of it. And, uh, they took it away from him under threat of death. So he said, uh, I said, well, what was it like, you know? And he said, things happen that are, that I don't want to remember and they creep up on me when I, when I'm, uh, least prepared and most vulnerable. He said, inhumane things. I said, how'd you get through? And he said, well, I had a keychain because uh, I was in charge of some of the other prisoners that gave me a key to a couple doors. And he said the keychain had one of those lucky rabbit's foot ball and stick silver, you know, you had one, those little chains with a little thing. He said, uh, when they weren't looking, those were my recitation beads. And I would, he said, I kept my sanity by reciting Guan Yin's name on my keychain. And as soon as they said, what are you doing? It's on keys. You know? So 10 years of uh, torture and unspeakable stuff. And then one day he was just spit out on the street and sent back home. And uh, one week later, all 300 images arrived at his door. 
So if you, uh, they say if you don't steal, you won't be stolen from. So, Guanyin Bodhisattva is one of those beings that uh, had been identified all these hundreds and hundreds of years as someone you can relate to. Notice that she is, by and large, female. There is a male Guanyin, and Guanyin can appear in 32 different manifestations according to the lore of the Dharma. Take, go take a look on your way out. When you, anytime that folks are in the neighborhood, come, come and get close to Guanyin. And Guanyin is one of these beings that you can actually get close to. She's not... Um, the Buddha is kind of awesome. The Buddha is really, you know, radiant and looks just so perfect. But Guanyin looks like kind of like your big sister, or your sometimes your your best friend. And uh, Guanyin is very easy to get close to. And the various forms um, and the various names of Guanyin. Um, Sanskrit. What's Guanyin's Sanskrit name? Anybody know? Sing it right out. Ah. Avalokiteshvara. Yeah, Avalokiteshvara. It's Guanyin. What does Avalokiteshvara mean? The, the awakened being who hears the sounds of the world. Avalokita is another one, and that is the Bodhisattva who contemplates at ease. Guanzizai Pusa, they say. In Tibetan, Guanyin is Tara, and Guanshiyin in Tibetan is Chunrezi. You've heard that. Chunrezi is Guanshiyin. And Tara, green Tara, white Tara. Same. And when you see those images of Tara, it's like, that's eh, very, yeah, hmm, I reckon. Vietnamese, Guan Teum Bo Tat, Guan Teum Bo Tat. Cantonese, Guan Yum, Guan Yum, Guan Yum, Guan Yin, right? When I say Guan Yin, that's Mandarin. Cantonese, Guan Yum. Japanese, anybody know? Kanzai onbosatsu. So desu Kanzai Okay, kanzai Now, I have a little known factoid. You're, you will be so glad you came tonight. Once you hear this factoid. Canon cameras. Do you shoot with a Canon? Most Serious photographers do, although we have gone mirrorless at the monastery. So, Canon cameras. Canon, the original founder of Canon, registered the name in 1953, Guan Yin, and the first Canon logo was a thousand-hand Guan Yin Bodhisattva. So every time you go click on that shutter, you're going, Canon, 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 Guan Yin, Guan Yin, Guan Yin. Okay, you didn't know that. Aren't you glad? You can, yeah. So, Korean is Guanyang, English probably Guanshiyin or Guanyin, because the Bodhisattva who hears the sounds of the world is too long, you know, in English. So probably Kenon Guanyin. Um, I let's see here, um, but Guanyin has other names as well. Um, she's Guanshiyin contemplating the world's sounds. She is Guanyin, sound contemplator. For short, it's Guanyin. She's uh, given a bunch of local names in China. She is the, she's seen in different forms. Do you see, not the windows, but the three vertical images beside the window, uh, between the windows, right? The orange one in the middle, that's Amitabha, the Buddha, same one here. If you look to your right, this is, Let's see, that is Guanyin on your right, and this is the Bodhisattva Great Strength, Mahastama Prapta. The three of them are called the Trinity of Sages of the Western World, the Western Land. Shi Fang San Sheng in Chinese. So the two of those two Bodhisattvas have made vows to support the Buddha Amitabha. That's one of the main ways that people find Guanyin as one of the Bodhisattvas who helps out the Buddha, Guanyin. So Guanyin also appears in another form, thousand hands and a thousand eyes. Right? Each one of the hands, we have a thousand hand, thousand eye Guanyin in the back. 
And that image, uh, there's an initial kind of ick factor when you look at it. It's like, oh, what's that? You know, that, that's too weird. And then you look a little closer, what is that? And each of those arms and hands has an eye in the palm of the hand. And it comes from the vows of Guan Yin to extend a hand to anybody who needs a hand in times of trouble. And by golly, try it when you need it. Um, I have some experiences with calling the name of Guan Yin in need and something changes. Now, it's not always the case that this white-robed savior, you know, shows up and offers me a hand. Often it's that my fear goes away for whatever the situation. Because Guan Yin is also known as the bodhisattva who gives courage, who bestows fearlessness. And that's another one of Guan Yin's names. And when you call on Guan Yin's name, I, I teach this a lot to kids, especially kids from like 5 to 15 or 13. Kids who often are caught in a big adult world, they can't even, at a certain age, you couldn't even reach the refrigerator door handle. You know, everything was bigger than you were. And at night, you know, under the bed, in the closet, you don't know. And kids are really ready to have a big, strong friend who is there when they need it. And I don't teach it as a Buddhist teaching. You know, it's just like, oh, you need help? Namo Guan Yin Pusa. Guan Yin Pusa. Help me out. I need a hand. And the kids who who I just kind of mentioned that offhand to come back eight years later and say, I did that every night. It works. You know. So, um, Guan Yin is famous as the Bodhisattva who bestows children to the childless who seek sons or daughters in Asia. There's a long-standing tradition of when you are childless and seek children, you recite Guan Yin's name and she is one who will bestow a daughter, virtuous and wise, or a son, you know, learned and kind. So, how interesting, huh? All this lore, all these years, gathered around this bodhisattva. Now, um, thank you very much. (laughs) I appreciate that. I didn't even have to ask. You just told me on your own. Don't you all wish you had a Macintosh? If you don't, you need a Macintosh. Okay, now, um, when I go to Buddhist Asia, um, one of the ways that I introduce Buddhism in the West is through music. And this is one of the songs that that people enjoy the most and have accepted as a bona fide, absolutely genuine, right on the spot, true to the heart, Guanyin Bodhisattva song written by Jennifer Berezan who is our own, very own Berkeley Canadian-American songwriter. And this is, uh, this song is, has got Guan Yin's spirit of great compassion. And your part, you will sing. Yes, you will. Be noticed, you know. You will sing. Kidding about that part. You will want to sing. It goes like this. She carries me, she carries me, she carries me to the other side. She carries me, she carries me, she carries me to the other side. It's easy enough. She carries me, she carries me. She carries me to the other side. We do it twice. Here we go. She carries me. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. Okay, I'll tell you when to come in. She is a bow. She is a light 
high on a hill in the dark of night. She is a way. She is the deep. She is the dark where the angels sleep. And all is still. Where peace abides, she carries me to the other side. Here we go. She carries me. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. And though I walk through valleys deep, and shadows chase me. Rocky cliffs, I stand alone. I have no name. I have no home. With broken wings, I long to fly. She carries me. The other side, she carries me. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. She carries me. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. A thousand arms, a thousand eyes. Thousand ears to hear my cries. She is the gate. She is the door. She leads me through and back once more. When day has dawned, when. Death is nigh. She carries me to the other side. Here we go, last time. She carries me. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. She carries me. She carries me. She carries me to the other side. So that's an English language Guanyin Bodhisattva song. And to have it be um, articulated so uh, easily and um, satisfyingly uh, means that there's some maturity there. It's been it's ripe already here in the West. So, um, so I've talked a little bit about um, how Guanyin has appeared in Asia. And a bit about her appearance. Um, 
a bit about her function. How do you access excess Guanyin Bodhisattva? And the number one way in Asia is by reciting her name. And how does that happen? The the lore, the story that, about Guanyin that is is told traditionally is that Guanyin Bodhisattva was a Buddha in the past, has already realized Buddhahood. And the name of that Buddha, uh, as described in some of the sutras, the Buddha's texts, are that Guanyin Bodhisattva's name as a Buddha was the light of right dharma, the light of proper dharma. Zheng, Faming, Bulai, Tathagata, the the one who has come thus, the light of the proper dharma, the radiance of the proper dharma, of the correct dharma. And when that particular being realized Buddhahood, he, she, beyond gender, realized that living beings were still suffering like mad and uh, the karma that we create hadn't stopped at all and that her, his work wasn't done. So instead of entering nirvana, said, I'm going to come back in an approachable form. And those vows created Guanyin Bodhisattva, says the tradition. Now, Guanyin's vows say, anybody, anybody who can recite my name, um, that's all you need to do. And I will supply whatever is needed, particularly in the way of courage, um, rescue, um, a friend when you're lonely, you know, um, a healing hand when something's broken, um, skill when you need it, right? The right word when you can't find that word, the muse when you're trying to create, and it's elusive. You know, so any songwriters or writers here uh, or teachers of kids who just need to know the right word, you know, or caregivers, consolers of people grieving, you know, that's when Guan Yin arises, will, will come forward. And the, uh, so that's, that's it. That's the access. That's the means of access, mostly, of access, mostly. And you say, and all those different languages, from Sanskrit all the way through to English, um, are ways of saying, the traditional way is namo, namaha, right? Sanskrit is namaha. I, I praise, I return to, I take refuge, I find safety in. Nama, namo means that, namaha. Um, Guanyin Bodhisattva. I return to Guanyin Bodhisattva. Um, could be praise to, uh, homage to, That's those are words we're familiar with in a biblical context, but the idea is you're summoning vows made by a very com- wise and compassionate being. Uh, now, what about that method of calling on a name? How interesting, right? This is pure bhakti. This is devotional practice. And now, if you recite Namo Bill Clinton, Namo Bill Clinton Bodhisattva, I'm waiting for that hand, you know, Bill. Bill's a good old guy, you know, but I don't know if it's the same. Reciting Bill Clinton's name. Now, Hillary. Now, Namo Hillary, you might get a little more traction, but not for sure. So, what is it that makes Guanyin Bodhisattva's name different from, you know, America's first family from a decade or so ago. Um, it's the practice and the vows behind it. It's the wisdom and compassion and the single-minded focus on that vow. Getting nothing from all that helping aid other than a sense of bringing all the pieces of that Buddha nature back together. Because what's different between before you're a Buddha and after you're a Buddha one might say that the fundamental connection is real for you. We feel that connection occasionally. You know, you see it every now and then, and we work towards realizing it. But by and large, most of us still feel that we stop with our skin. This is me, 
right? That's it. I'm a unit. That's it. And someone whose precepts, samadhi, and wisdom, their precepts, their concentration, and their wisdom has replaced the coverings over our nature, the ignorance by and large, the attachments, the desires, the delusions, sees that indeed we don't stop with our skin, that we are not only deeply connected to all humans, but to all beings. Through the earth, air, fire, and water that make our bodies, no different in the past, no different in the future, and by that invisible thing inside that has so many names, but isn't there until you look for it. And then the the Chinese say, once you locate the Tao, you can't leave it behind for an instant. There's nowhere it's not. And yet, when we're not looking for it, it's as if it were a million miles away. Um, so, the Buddha sees that. For him, her, it's a reality. It's not a good idea. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's where they live. And... The process of practice, the meditation that we do, the various, the dana, the, the generosity, the, the kindness and compassion that we practice, works by subtraction. When you are on this path of cultivation, that's the, the buzzword that we use in our in our tradition, of practice, whatever you, whatever word you use. Um, that process, bit by bit, removes the coverings over our nature so that you don't get anything from your Buddhist practice. You remove, you transform, you scrape off, peel off, blast off, melt away, dissolve the views of me and mine from the, this. And... So in somewhere along that process, if we decide we need a hand, we need a helping hand, if you say, Namo Guanyin Bodhisattva, my knees hurt and it's still got 20 minutes to go before they ring the damn bell. What do I do? I can't sit here and I don't want to wiggle and I don't want to stand up. I want to meditate and I'm, what do I do? Namo Guanyin Bodhisattva, Namo Guanxiyin Pusa. And if you can recite with a single mind, suddenly you realize that you're, sitting there with pain that somebody who's just had a 20-foot wall of water wash their house and their city away probably feels worse. And you're safe and secure in a nice, dry Buddha hall. And you can sit there, and it's okay to be awake with that pain. You know what? The pain guarantees you're not dead. You know, you're still alive with that. That's... Interesting way, can I make room for that in my heart? Yeah, I probably can. And maybe there's a little bit of goodness that I can transfer through and, you know, enduring, whatever. Not, I'm not torturing myself. It's not, it's just pain. It's not suffering. It's just pain. You know, and with those kind of thoughts, you go, where do those thoughts come from? Maybe, maybe that's a thought typical of Guanyin Bodhisattva, you know. Maybe that's a compassionate thought that, I just expanded that sense of me being only this much. So, whatever gets you in the ding, oh, the period's over. Gee, that was the fastest 20 minutes I've ever, you know. And things like that, you know. When do you need help? Um, not that we test out Guan Yin, you know. Eh, she only took 30 seconds to come that time, you know. Wow, Guan Yin's really... Pick up the cell phone, Guan Yin. You know. Um, I was in a van somewhere between Calgary and Banff National Park on the Trans-Canada Highway in January. And the uh, uh, individual who was driving the van was determined to show me uh, his mastery of the art of driving on black ice (laughs) and was guzzling a gallon of chocolate milk and making a strong point at the same time and lost control of the van. And the van spun on the black ice. He immediately tromped on the brakes, spinning it faster. It went up the embankment. In Canada, they just pile the snow higher and higher and higher and higher. You know, So you, you drive down these tunnels of, of impacted snow. 
compacted snow. And as the van left the ground and, you know, went up and started to spin, I was going, Namo Guanshiyin Bodhisattva. Namo Guanshiyin Bodhisattva with all my heart. And uh, to truth be told, I was reciting about 15 minutes before. <laughs> this guy, this idiot was just, oh man. <sighs> and as you leave uh, Alberta and go into BC, uh, there was a sign that said, fasten your seatbelt. And I realized I had not. It's like, I always fasten. Oh, that's interesting. Click, spin. I click that seatbelt just probably 60 seconds before we took flight in the van. And time slowed down. I don't know if you've been in an accident. And there's this sense of, hmm, you know, this particular millisecond took a very long time, you know. And I remember just having a sense of being caught by a hand. Very strange that some, I was in a, the palm of a hand and the van landed on its side with a big impact and spun and spun and spun. And uh, the, uh, I was unfortunately on the upper side in my seat belt. It was one of these big uh, econolines, you know, and there's a big space in the front seat. And I cleverly undid my seat belt and fell right down onto the gear shift and cracked a rib. But uh, the Mountie, they have them, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. His name was not Dudley Do-Right. I, I looked to see, but he came and he was freezing. He says, it's so cold out here, guys, you've got to get, he says, you know, man, what a mess you made. Look, there's chocolate milk all over the highway. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. You know. And we were unscratched except a broken rib. And he, uh, the, he cleaned us up. The car was, the van was totaled. And in my heart, I knew that I had been protected. And boy, I thought, I'm so glad I didn't wait till the last minute. I'm going, Guan Yin, what was the name? Uh, can I call the monk? Too late, you know. Well, I forgot. Good thing I had practiced Namo Guan Yin Bodhisattva, Namo Guan Shri Yin So that was one of those moments uh, when um, knowing that bit of Buddhist lore from the devotional side from the bhakti side, made a difference. It gave me something to do, so I didn't freak out. And I can, you know, I'm here telling the story. Um, so that's, uh, in in Asia, people collect Guanyin Bodhisattva stories, the rescue stories. And they're, they go big and small. Um, I remember, I actually gave this talk down at Gil Fronstel's place down in Redwood City. And, uh, at the end, of the, I was uh, giving a talk with uh, Alan Sanaki, um, and uh, um, at the end of the talk, this uh, woman came up and said, "She said this is the first Buddhist talk I've ever attended. I never thought I would be doing anything like this, but you want to, you know?" She said. I was diagnosed with breast cancer and she said I was I felt so alone and so just gutted and I didn't know where to turn and I thought why me and the night before radiation before the chemo she said I I had this dream and she, in the dream this incredibly kind a white-robed figure came to me and said, you will make this through. Um, the reasons for this are very old and very deep. This is not your only life. Don't give up hope. You will be able to help others, she said. And she woke up and felt this calm, cool, cool. She mentioned temperature, cool relief. And she couldn't remember quite why. And then the dream came to her and she had no context for it. She was not a religious person of any stripe. And she said, to this day, until you gave this talk, I never knew who that was. She said, now you've given me a name. I didn't even ask 
But she said, I've always felt like I needed to know more about that and that I have something to do with telling this story, she said. And she was a survivor and had, you know, counseled other women. But people, um, I think America is heading for a very difficult time. Um, the same NPR uh, morning on the way down Highway 1 yesterday said that uh, a frightening statistic, something like 60% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck now. I don't know where they arrive at that kind of figure, but I can believe it. People whose economic security has vanished, and not that we talk politics from this seat, but um, we as a culture, don't have a lot of resources for, for getting through hard times. We take pills, we do retail therapy, we watch, you know, entertainment on our displays, and I'm not sure where we're going to go to find the strength to get through what's coming. And I would propose Guanyin Bodhisattva as one of those places because that image of a garden, an inner garden, is a real one. If we can connect to those qualities that are immaterial, non-material, but very, very real, it's helpful to have a face for them, or a sound for them, or a gate to that garden. And as much as we move in to that space inside and weed it, light it, you know, till the ground, break up the big clods and the little clods and fertilize it and compost it and add some some uh, uh, amendments to the soil and then plant down Bodhi seeds, compassionate seeds, and I might add, not goddess of compassion. Guanyin is not a goddess. It's goddess of mercy, right? Goddess of mercy is the traditional, you know, oh yeah, she's the Buddhist goddess of mercy. Not a goddess and mercy is not the, not the topic at all. Mercy is somehow, you know, pleading with the power to be lenient with you. It's not. It's Guanyin Bodhisattva, give me a hand because I'm in trouble. And Guanyin comes along and says, wake up your compassion. Expand the measure of your heart, right? So, awakened being of great compassion, not goddess of mercy, all right? You'd be doing Buddhism a favor by putting a red mark through goddess of mercy, okay? That's one of those knee jerks, like Buddhists enter extinction, you know, the Buddha entered extinction for nirvana. Extinction is what dinosaurs do, you know, and extinction is what black rhinos did last week. No more black rhinos on the planet. And not nirvana is not extinction. So bit by bit, we're kind of replacing those original ideas with uh, the, the actual story in Buddhism. Okay, so we um, have covered a lot of ground tonight. Time is up. Um, it's just uh, a toe in the door of devotion, bhakti. I would like to share with everybody... Buddhist Global Relief website, BGR. Is it BGR.org? BG. Buddhist Global Relief, one, one long word. Buddhist Global Relief. If you can't remember that, look for Bhikkhu Bodhi, who is the, the founder. Um, we're, we're on the board of advisors here, and I'm sure many of you have, have maybe taken part in the walk to feed the hungry and all. But Buddhist Global Relief has some um, addresses, websites for ways to aid the Philippines. Um, the There are ways not to aid the Philippines uh, because the government is notorious for being... Uh, it, money doesn't always get to the place where it's supposed to go, the Philippine government. So they say, I'm just passing on what I've heard, true or not. Um, but... The BGR, Buddhist Global Relief, has three, two or three links that apparently are more reliable. Should Doctors Without Borders is one. Should you be moved to contribute? All right? Just to say, uh, in case you heard about some of the suffering there and wanted to do something about it. All right. We have only, as I say, scratched the surface, but um, one way 
to move towards that immaterial but real nature that contains all of the the, uh, wonderful flowers of wisdom and compassion is to transfer merit, to dedicate the merit. And uh, there are lots of ways to do that. Some in Pali, in the Pali tradition, others petitionary prayer in uh, among Roman Catholics, and uh, the uh, Jewish tradition has tikkun olam. You repair the world. You leave the world a better place than you found it. That's what it means to be a human. And in the Buddhist and the Mahayana tradition, we have uh, this dedication of merit, transference, and you do it with your heart. You find that place that is the same shared by all beings, the place where minds touch. And I challenge you to show me where your mind and my mind do not touch. Right? And that should be true for all beings, Um, even the ones we don't happen to like uh, because they they give me that look every morning at breakfast and I've just about had enough, you know, and... Yet your minds are still touching. So how do you um, use the reality of that connection to repair the world, to really practice tikkun olam? And the answer is by dedication, by this practice called parinamana in Sanskrit, huishan in Chinese. And you simply make a wish and use your mind like a broadcast tower, a beacon, sending out light in all directions, goodness in all directions. And... The traditional formula says all of the merit that I have created tonight by joining together with like-minded, wholesome friends in this tranquil place to look into enduring principle, dharma, all of that goodness I share with living beings universally, without exception, with the wish that fill in the blank. It's your wish. It's your merit. So you send it out however you'd like to do it. Okay? So that's the idea. And uh, when you do it together, it gets real power. So I'm going to sing uh, an English version of the Chinese Dedication of Merit formula. And those of you who know it, please join in. Um, wisdom and to joy. May kindness find reward. May all who sorrow leave their grief and pain. May this boundless light break the darkness of their endless night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all become compassionate and wise.
so. And uh, some people saw the banjo and said, why didn't you play the banjo? We were waiting for the banjo. You didn't play it. Eat your heart out, James Barras. <laughs> James only plays the guitar. Oh. Okay, um, my name is Hung Shur. I live here, and uh, we have are proud to have been hosting Spirit Rock Thursday Night East Bay for 18 years now. How about that? And. Uh, if you'd like to know more about what I do, uh, Saturday night is a really good way to, to find out. We lecture on texts here every Saturday night at 7.30. We're open for meditation twice a day, 6.15 in the morning, 5.15 at night. Unsupervised, but we start and end. We don't teach, but we, we run the sit. And uh, if you go to berkeleymonastery.org, you'll find our weekly schedule. We have classes every night, different kinds of meditation and uh, you are, this community is one of the flag bearers of this Dharma community in the East Bay. So, good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.